step closer to week one and to real football. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, with my good friend, Matt Betts. Betts, how you doing today? Doing swimmingly, Kyle. Uh, as of the, the release date of this podcast, it is less than two weeks until football. Let's go, man. I'm so, so happy. It's coming, man. Yeah, I, I keep looking at my calendar and I feel like um, as I've inched ever closer, um, I've looked at just preparing in terms of setting lineups and whatnot. And so I'm starting to work backwards, which I guess is kind of my thing recently. I just wrote an article on backwards design. But yeah, I'm kind of looking backwards from that first Thursday night game and asking myself, what do I need to do to prepare? Not just like lineups wise, but like mentally, physically, like what do I do? I need to like get a ton of sleep the day before, just like quit my job. I Those think are the kind of things that are going one, through my head. Definitely is quitting the job. Step two is lots of water. Um, and like you, you like to go through the handwritten notes. So you're going to need a lot of uh, pens and pencils and, and paper, of course. So uh, that's the, the checklist for you. And for me, I feel like I'm just like so locked in on Thursday Night Football, the showdown matchup, because that's what I'm writing in the, the DFS pass. So uh, I'm like locked in on that. And then, you know, just a few days later, it's like, oh, yeah, the first uh, the first slate's here. So let's go. Uh, man, I'm yeah. so, so excited there's some great stuff we're going to cover today on this show and then next week we're actually going to talk about how do you approach island games like thursday nights and we'll get to preview that first thursday night matchup kind of a week before to kind of give people a a picture of of what that looks like and that article that you get to write every single week um, it's those thursday night games especially the first one of the year chiefs and texans that i think will get people in on dfs because everyone's going to be watching it everyone's going to Think of different ways to kind of attack that game. So I'm super excited about that. I, basically, for me, I've done a couple of preliminary lineups. Um, as long as I have uh, the Panthers in there uh, and Curtis Samuel, I'm good. I can just log out and I feel pretty good about my lineups. You going with the uh, the Teddy B, Curtis Samuel stack in week one? Yeah, just lock it in. If you, if you lock those two in, you really don't even need the other spots in your lineup. Um, <laughs> it, Curtis Samuel, it 203. Matter. Here we go. <laughs> Speaking of stacks, I want to get to our quick question. This one's from Dominique Shields at fresh underscore beats 42. And he asked, what is one game I should stack attack in week one? And in terms of stacking, we've highlighted that before. And every single week on this podcast, we'll talk about the main slate and the four or five games that we want to attack in terms of stacking. So in week one, is there a matchup you really like that you want to try to stack? Man, I'm all over this Seattle and Atlanta game. They're playing in the Dome in Atlanta. It's the third highest over-under on the slate, so Vegas is expecting a lot of points there. They have it at 48.5. So we look at these two offenses. We like a lot of the pieces. We like Matt Ryan. We like Julio Jones. We like Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I'll take some Russell, Russell Wilson. I'll take some Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. There's a lot to like about these two offenses, especially when you consider the fact that um, these two defenses struggle to get to the quarterback. So you're looking at last year's um, sack rates 
for Atlanta and Seattle. Atlanta was 30th in the NFL, Seattle 27th. If Russ has time, if Matt Ryan has time to deliver the ball to these pass catchers, this is a perfect type of game where I just want to have uh, one quarterback stacking and probably in multiple lineups with each of these scenarios, but then bring it back with another receiver on the other team. So like a Matt Ryan Julio stack and then bring it back with Lockett on the other side or something like that. So I'll have a lot of Seattle and Atlanta definitely in week one. Yeah, I see in the notes here, uh, you wrote down, pass rush is poop. And <laughs> as a Falcons fan, I can tell you that, yes, we don't get after the quarterback. And it leaves a lot of lanes open, especially in the middle of the field. We get destroyed in the middle of the field. But that'll be an awesome game in the Dome. You said earlier it's the third highest total on the slate. And so you have a chance to kind of stack that game in a bunch of different directions. You can say, I'm going to stack Wilson, maybe with Chris Carson or or get creative that way. I love that game. And I know this is going to be on brand, but I I think an underrated game is Las Vegas at Carolina. Uh, it's a 46 and a half total, but I like it because there's a bunch of cheap stacking options. We mentioned Teddy Bridgewater a lot, but you can go for Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel at 5,600 or 5,500, uh, especially on FanDuel. There are some cheap options. CMC is going to be chalk no matter what, even at 10K, but there's some great options. I also like Ian Thomas at 5,100. He averaged over six targets a game the last two years when Olsen was out, and you can run it back with the Raiders. On the road last year, the Raiders were two and six, and that sounds not exciting when you think about a team that's just in negative game script, but Derek Carr's TD rate rose to 6.7% last year on the road, and in his first four road games last year, he threw multiple touchdowns. So there's a chance if you pick the right Raiders receiver, I don't know who that is. Is it Ruggs? Is it Brian Edwards? Uh, It's hard to put a lot of stock into rookies, but... I want to find out who the pieces are. Maybe it's Josh Jacobs. Maybe you're just saying Teddy Bridgewater. The Panthers are going to be coming back. And by the way, both of these defenses also stink. So I I like this game and I like the up-tempo pace. Carolina was top five in pace last year. So that's just a fun matchup. I think a lot of people will kind of be off it because they're not exciting teams. But I kind of like those combinations. Anything about those two? I mean, you look at the the Carolina defense and what they did in the NFL draft, they literally took every single draft pick and used it on a defensive player. And people might say, oh, well, they improved the defensive side of the ball. That is not what that means. That means they might be even worse than last year and they could not stop the run to save their life last year. So even though Josh Jacobs, you know, didn't get a lot of of run in the passing game last year, and we want that in DFS on FanDuel where it's a half PPR type format, I'm really intrigued with Josh Jacobs there in week one for that reason. So yeah, man, I'm with you. And of course, I'm going to keep talking about Teddy and the DJ Morris stack. I'm all about it this year. There's some past defenses that Ben Cummins just wrote up in an article, past defenses to attack in DFS. He's also coming out with a run defenses one as well. That's kind of a good primer for the season to say, who are the teams that week in, week out, we're just going to go after. I just put up that article about backwards design and kind of fully laying out that process. So it's some really good content. And if you're interested in the DFS pass, it's an awesome deal. Next week, we're going to start bringing out some of our gated content and right now you can go online at ultimatedfspass.com or the probably the best deal is to get the combo with the ultimate draft kit. If you use the promo code DFSPOD, you get to save a little cash. And the combo is just something that you will you won't be able to find a better deal. It's the best price right now. And the best part about the DFS pass is it 
never increases. You're not paying per month. You're paying for it one time and that lasts the entire season. So I can't recommend it enough. And anything else you want to say about the DFS pass? I mean, it's just, it's crazy value because a lot of other tools, while they're great, make you pay, you know, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever it is. I mean, you literally play the first week and hopefully we know our stuff. It'll pay for itself in the first week or two of the season if you win a little cash. So yeah, I mean, fantastic deal. And we're entering prime draft season. I think this weekend is supposed to be the biggest draft weekend for redraft leagues um, and, and you get the UDK for free. So what's not to love? Obviously, two great products. On today's show, we're going to go through a couple of tools and and research-related things that we use personally, and some of those we're going to highlight from the DFS Pass. And the goal of this is for us to give you something in your hand, like a hammer, and you need to be able to use it the right way. There's so many statistics and tools and articles out there that... Uh, you can look at one piece of data and kind of use it in a different direction. So I love that we'll get to highlight some of that. But before we do that, I'm going to put you on the stop uh, on the spot because I want to play a game. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I I I, uh, I I have this thing where I just I enjoy creating the games normally for the main show, and I thought this is something that we could bring here to our DFS pod. And so I'm going to ask you a couple questions, which <laughs> in your spot I, I don't envy it because oh, you're going in blindly. <laughs> Plus that that drop, just like you know what you're getting yourself into, and you know you're going to look like an idiot. So here we go, bring it on. <laughs> So I looked at all of the DraftKings Millie Maker lineups from 2019. So this past year, all 17 weeks, the person that won DraftKings' biggest tournament, uh, I looked at some of the trends and I looked positionally and kind of saw which players were hitting uh, really high performances and who wasn't being used at all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go position by position and just ask you a couple of simple questions. And I'm also going to do it in multiple choice format so that if you're listening, you can play along. I, I love doing that whenever someone plays a game on a podcast. I need time to respond. I can press pause, but uh, I'm going to give you time to to think about this. So let's go with quarterback first. So 17 weeks last year for the Millie Maker. There were only two quarterbacks last year that were on Millie Maker rosters twice. Okay. so. Two quarterbacks were on Millie Maker rosters twice. One of those was Patrick Mahomes, which probably shouldn't shock anyone. The question is, who is the only other quarterback to make it on a Millie Maker roster twice throughout the season? Was it Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Jameis Winston, or Dak Prescott? Jameis Winston. Ding, ding, ding. Man, I need a drop for that. Uh, I really need a good <laughs> drop for... Uh, yes, Jameis Winston was the only other quarterback to be on a Millie Maker roster. Actually, quarterbacks averaged on DraftKings just $6,200 in terms of salary, which is pretty cheap. And the one that shocked me the most was Lamar Jackson. He won people fantasy leagues last year. But in terms of DFS, apart from that first week when he was only 6K on DraftKings, he never showed up again because his price tag rose so much. Do you think that's something that a lot of players don't realize is that although these guys might be the best quarterbacks in fantasy, for DFS, they're not always helpful? Yeah, I feel like that's not a a common 
theme out there or, or maybe more casual players aren't aware of that and, and obviously it's like you know if you if you have that player in your redraft league you put them in your lineup and you don't even think twice about it well in dfs you're trying to be different than your opponents you're trying to think about okay how can i put a lineup together that is different than someone else who i can't look at their lineup and, and differentiate myself that way the common player is going to say, oh, he's the best quarterback. Let's put him in. But really, and, and I'm with you, you know, these the salary that these players have usually mid range and actually lower end quarterback play or quarterback pricing, I should say, um, is what wins in these DFS, DFS tournaments. So it's not the elite of the elite. It's kind of the middle tier guys or even sometimes the lower tier guys, especially in those big tournaments. So I love doing that because you can pay up elsewhere to get your stud running backs, uh, which usually is, is kind of the way to go. Yeah, I was shocked just looking at the list. You know, no one else other than Winston and Mahomes repeated. You know, you got names like Teddy Bridgewater in there. Uh, Daniel Jones had a monster week. Andy Dalton in week 16. And it's not always for the Millie Maker. It's not always the QB1 for the week. But you kind of have to be in that QB, you know, three to four range. You got to be pretty high up there in order to make it. Let's do running backs next. So last year in running backs, uh, in terms of the Millie Maker, there were three top 12 running backs in PPR that never showed up on a Millimaker roster. So there was three of those guys that were in the top 12 for PPR leagues the end of the year, and they were not once on a Millimaker roster. I'll give you two of those names, Alvin right. Kamara and Leonard Fournette. Who was the other one? Was it Nick Chubb, Chris Carson, Mark Ingram, or Saquon Barkley. So who never showed up on a Millimaker roster last year, despite being an RB1? One of these things is not like the other. And I think you're trying to trick me, so I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley. Ooh. It was actually Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. I, in my head, I was like, Saquon had to be on there, of course. But the, <laughs> the, the three were in their own tier, and then he was by himself, so I figured he was the one. Saquon didn't get on there until week 15. So he almost didn't make it. The crazy thing about Ingram, and I just tweeted this out literally right before the episode. And of course you got that notification, right? Oh, I, like I haven't said I'm I always locked in at Kyle underscore Borg on Twitter. Always. Good. No, no. Get those, get those auto likes going. Um, there's certain content on Twitter that just gets an auto like for me. There's certain gifts, usually an oh, office yes. one or anything related to mighty ducks gets an automatic like for me. Um, anything with Perd Happily from Parks and Rec <laughs> is usually an auto light. That's fantastic. <laughs> but, but I tweeted this out and I said, although the Ravens set the NFL rushing record last year, over 3,000 yards, and although they had the second most, uh, they tied for the second most rushing touchdowns in the league, Mark Ingram never showed up once on the Millimaker roster and Lamar Jackson only showed up once. So it's kind of crazy for a team that had an outlier season for DFS. They weren't always the team that, or the, the combination that you needed. And granted, like I said, the Millie Maker rosters is only a picture of that, but these are people that want a million dollars. So maybe we need to take notice. Apparently we do. All right. I got two more. I'll do wide receivers and tight ends. There were only four guys, four wide receivers that showed up on the Millie Maker lineups three times. Okay. I'll give you two of them, Chris Godwin and Michael Thomas, which shouldn't shock anyone. Nope. I need you to pick two of these five players, so two of them, that you think also hit that three-time mark. Okay? All right. So, two me. of these guys, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, 
Devontae Parker, John Brown, and Mike Evans. So pick two of those guys that you would say, you know what, they helped people at least three times win a Millie Maker, which only Chris Godwin and Michael Thomas could do as well. A.J. Brown had a stretch that was unreal last year. I'm going to go with him. He's my Y1 answer. Is that correct? It is not. A.J. Brown showed up once. Okay. All right. So AJ Brown, and then I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with John Brown. I'm gonna go with the Browns. It was it was John Brown, and actually Mike Evans showed up there three times as well. Um, it was either you know a Godwin week or an Evans week, but it's crazy to see John Brown showing up so many times, helping people when we kind of forget how consistent this guy was. And I wonder if there's gonna be a couple of weeks this year where instead of Diggs, it is Brown that goes off in DFS because he can still hit those long ones. Yeah, and he's going so late too, like in best ball drafts. Like he's such a value this year. I've scooped him up everywhere, especially on underdog. It's great value. Let's go with tight ends. Last one. There were two tight ends. Two tight ends that were on the Millie Maker lineups three times last year. Name these two tight ends. Was it Jared Cook, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle? Tyler Higby or Austin Hooper. So which two of those five guys showed up three times in the Millie Maker? Kittle didn't find the end zone enough last year. I don't think he's on the list. Yeah, um, Kittle never showed up once. Yeah. He's hey, dude, he's gonna smash this year. Um all right, no Kittle. I'm gonna hold off on Kelsey as well, which is kind of contrarian. I'm gonna go with the last two you mentioned. Austin Hooper came out to a blazing start last year. And then Tyler Higby, of course, you know, he did down the stretch. Those are my answers. You are the smartest man alive. That's why Woo! you're the doctor and I'm not. Let's go. Uh, no. Yeah. Kelsey only showed up one time, but yeah, it was Higby and it was Hooper who showed up three times. And the goal of doing this exercise for me is not to, you know, look at all these lineups and say, do it the exact same way. It's just to show you the kind of plethora of options that you can have each week in DFS. And in the article that I'll, that I'll show next week. There's so many different roster percentages that show up. I mean, people kind of ebb and flow all over the place. And that's something, if you're going to win consistently in DFS, you need to understand pricing in relation to players. And that's the first thing that I want to talk about today on our show is first look pricing. Fantasy football functions like a market. It functions like you know, you're looking at players and their values go up and down week to week. In DFS, the way that we figure that out best is on a Monday night or a Tuesday morning. And so we have an article that comes out on Tuesdays that I that I do, and that's showing the first look at those prices for DraftKings and FanDuel. Consider it like, I don't know, your your morning newspaper, but people don't do that anymore. Consider it your toilet Twitter read. Is that better? <laughs> uh, that's extremely accurate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I I feel like if you didn't have Twitter, if the toilet didn't have Twitter, then I, I don't know if the, I don't know who depends on which more, the toilet or the Twitter depends on each other. I think Twitter depends um, on the toilet. <laughs> they're kind of this, this uh, symbiotic relationship and it's a beautiful thing. But on Monday night, you get the pricing, but when the prices come out, they're not always perfect because they have to be set so early. So you you deal with this all the time. There's a carn there's carnage relation to injuries. And on a Monday, how much do we truly know? I mean, when you're doing your write-ups, you do it on Tuesday. 
Do you feel like you have a full picture of what really the timetable is? You have a, a general idea, or at least I feel like I have an idea just based off of kind of my injury knowledge and kind of being a physical therapist. But a, a lot of times we don't get the full details off the MRI results or an x-ray or whatever is going on with this player's evaluation, which usually happens on Monday. The results come out to the public on Tuesday. So there's definitely things that change so rapidly early in the week. And then from there, we can project forward. But yeah, in the first couple of days, it's it's a little bit of a question mark as, as far as the specifics. And with injuries that usually the player doesn't drop in salary, he kind of just stays put if, you know, FanDuel or DK, I, I don't envy their position of, of getting these prices, but they basically kind of have to let that player stay stagnant and they kind of get pushed through the rest of the week where the best place to look at, at an inefficiency in pricing is the backup. So if you find out there's an injury or if an injury, let's say happens on a Wednesday, then the backup usually is someone who becomes a true lock in fantasy. We saw Latavius Murray last year. He stepped in for Alva Kamara, and two weeks in a row, he showed up in Millie Maker lineups. He just smashed last year. And then one of my favorite players last year, he didn't do a whole lot, but Jalen Samuels, there was a week, it was week nine. That one time. It was Jalen Samuels week. Did you play him? <laughs> probably, yes. <laughs> if he was the chalk play, I probably played him in at least a few lineups. He was, so I was looking at percentages. He was rostered in that, in that huge tournament at 50.7% of lineups. I mean, over half the lineups. That's insane for any player. Christian McCaffrey never hit that. Jalen Samuels was only 4K that week and he, he 5X'd on his salary. So he got 20.3 points. So he was awesome. You lock him in because he's a backup and it's, perfect on a Tuesday. You can look at the prices and you can find those those backups that are super cheap that you can plug in, especially at the running back position. Those are the ones that are most important in DFS. Uh, and I mentioned this last week, but on Monday Night Football, you also kind of have this glitch where those players, their prices don't really reflect the next week because they're playing a game. And it's really important to understand those prices so that as you go into the week, you begin to you know, find the players that are super cheap, that are chalk, and the other players that have changed the values the most. I mentioned Lamar Jackson. Last year, that first week, he was 6K on DK. The next week, he was 6.7, and he was never any lower. He ended up being 7, 7.5, 8 as the season wore on. And so you can find out how players change in price because that changes if we want them on a roster. Yeah, for sure. And I think, too, you know, being able to identify what we feel is like inefficiencies in week one is a great way to be like, you know what? Last year, if we were having this conversation, we'd be like, Lamar Jackson's taking on the Dolphins in week one. He's 6K. Like, he's going to run. This seems like a great price. And so we've did that a lot. If you missed it, go back on the last show. We talked about some guys that we think are way underpriced, and we might be able to take advantage early in the season on those prices. So why don't you hit us up on second tip we have for winning consistently in DFS. Yeah, my second tip is all about understanding Vegas lines. And if you're not really into sports betting or you're not into you know wagering and looking at the lines, it can kind of get overwhelming. But I'm going to do an article in the DFS pass that looks at the Vegas line totals. And I'm not talking about a certain team favored by four points or three points or whatever it is. I'm looking more at the the total score that Vegas is expecting like we talked about with the Falcons and the Seahawks and you talked about with the Raiders and the Panthers in our, our quick question you want to understand what that means because 
Vegas is is very good at identifying what the total is likely going to be. It's crazy how close they get. And so typically we want to be able to target the highest uh, over-unders on the board. And I'll, I'll, I'll identify those for you throughout the year. But I also want to make sure people know it's not just that simple. You also want to look at the line movement. The way the line moves is based off what the public market, you know, for casual bettors or even really sharp bettors are doing. And so there's sites out there that give us information that say, you know, there's 47% of the money is on the over and, you know, 53 is on the under. Well, Vegas might start to kind of move the line to be less and less where they opened the line higher. And so maybe we can get an advantage if the line comes in lower, but we're expecting it to be more than, than what it is you can really take advantage and look at a game that has shootout potential and know when to stack in those types of games. So I love to use that as a tool and, and really be able to you know, track it in terms of where the, the line moves throughout the week. And hopefully the article is going to kind of highlight the best games, I think, for us to stack, especially in those big tournaments. It's interesting because the prices stay stagnant, right? You know, we the salaries that we get on those Tuesdays remain the same, but the line movement changes. And so that's something you kind of have to play with back and forth and understand that things do change in terms of where people place their money. Uh, and the way that the way that I've found is that overs win you weeks, but when you get unders, when you really pick the right unders where you're like, all right, this, this game, I'm going to fade this game because I just don't see it shooting out. That's where I think you've learned how to become a better player because you're looking at all the matchups that week. Let's say on the main slate, there's, you know, nine matchups. You're, you're crossing out three of them because you're saying, I don't think these are games are going to be viable. Maybe there's one or two players that you put in your player pool, but you need to be able to also understand the games that aren't so great. And maybe there's a game that's sitting in the middle, like 43 to 45 points. You need to be able to make the call on that one to do under. And under is just not a fun thing. In I don't sports. want to live that life, man. <laughs> it's such a sweat. <laughs> if you put if you put some money on the under, you're just sitting there the entire time butting your nails like, please don't throw this touchdown pass. Please don't throw this. Kick a field goal. Come on, man. Like it's not a it's you're not a fun experience. You're rooting for the punters. It's you're hoping not fun. that you're hoping for people to mismanage cl- the clock. Yeah, you don't ever nobody wants to root for unders, but that is actually where a lot of the money is made because people want these high-scoring games. We all want to watch football for that reason but we need to understand that side of the line because that helps us eliminate matchups that we don't really want Um, is there any other advice you would give people in terms of just numbers to think about so if someone's listening for the first time and they're hearing vegas lines is there a certain total that you're like hey once it gets over this total you need to start paying attention yeah if we're talking about specifically like overs and, and kind of getting excited about that um, typically the line that I've used in the past is about 47 and a half or 48 is kind of when, you know, Vegas is like, man, this is going to be, this is going to be a game. Um, you very rarely see over unders enter the 50 line. Sometimes you'll get a 51, sometimes a 52. But if you remember a couple of years ago, even that wild chiefs Rams games, I mean, off the top of my head, I know, I know the under or the over under, excuse me, was like in the low fifties or like 54 or something like that. And it went absolutely bananas. So you'll never see those types of predictions from Vegas. But for me, if I see a line coming close to like 47, 48, I feel more excited about that type of matchup for sure. We talk about stacking and running it back a lot. Meaning if you're going to stack one side of a team quarterback wide receiver and then you also need to run it back with the other one and that's where those giant over-unders come in play last year for the millimaker 
uh, 10 of the 17 weeks, they people that won it ran it back with someone else. So it's not like you have to do it, but it does correlate really well and it allows you to kind of differentiate yourself. Um, there's a week at the very end, who was it? It was Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton um, and the Bengals just went bananas. And that week, someone rostered Andy Dalton, John Ross, Tyler Boyd for their Bengals, and then they ran it back with Albert Wilson and Mike Gusecki. That is just... <laughs> that had to be terrifying to actually hit submit. <laughs> uh, man, that, I guess, you know, Andy Dalton went off for 37 points. So, uh, it, it's possible, but that's that's kind of what you need to think about when in terms of Vegas and stacking is just how these two teams are playing with each other. And that kind of leads into my next point, which is keeping up the pace the pace of play for fantasy is so important. And I feel like it's an underrated portion where we usually just think of teams with really good offenses as they keep up the pace. But honestly, you look at the Ravens last year, their time of possession was not as great as you thought because, well, they scored so quick, you know, their defense was the one that was actually, you know, killing it for them a lot of the times, but they were scoring so fast Pace of play, you know, we can talk about seconds per play. You can talk about total plays. But really what you're asking is a team when they're in a neutral or a positive game script, how are they playing? And on average, teams last year, they ran a play every 0.8 seconds per play slower when they had a positive game script than when they had a neutral game script. And when you think about just teams and their pace, it's not as simple as just saying, this is a bad team. Therefore, they will be playing from behind. Therefore, they'll get in more plays. Take the Redskins. I mean, dang it. <laughs> I'm still working on that one. To, uh, one of 50 take, times this year that'll happen. I guess that was their team name last year. But take that team from last year, the Washington football team. And last year, they were easily the worst in the league. They averaged only 55 plays per game. And although they were always playing from behind, their pace of pay was so slow because they just weren't converting first downs. And that's what you're looking for also is a team that actually converts. The Cardinals were another example. They had the largest difference in the league between neutral game scripts, meaning like where the game was close, and positive game scripts. So when they were actually ahead, they actually played way slower because they actually wanted to run the ball. And you think of the Cardinals as this up-tempo team, but there was a point at the end of the year where they were winning and they were winning because of Kenyon Drake. And so what you need to pay attention to each week is kind of the trends that show up. Last year, the top five teams in terms of pace of play were uh, Carolina, Dallas, the Rams, those Cardinals, and the Falcons. And with those, there were some certain nuances of certain players because the, the Panthers, granted, they were running a lot of plays, but they were running plays with who? Kyle Allen? And Will yep. Greer, I mean, <laughs> you know, so it's, it doesn't always just correlate bad teams equals, you know, you should target them. But as the season goes on, we get more and more information. We get to see what type of personnel teams use. If they're in 11 personnel and they're running three wide receivers, they probably a little quicker than, let's say, your Eagles um, or, you know, the Bills or something like that. Teams that basically want to run the ball. So right. anything... Uh, in terms of pace of play that you've thought about in the past and that's allowed you to kind of make good decisions with DFS? I mean, it's definitely made, uh, made me open my eyes to how important this metric and stat is 
when I first started playing DFS, I didn't care about this. I didn't look at this. And then I started learning more about football just being, you know, in, you know, my own research and kind of doing that articles and on all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, man, pace of play is so important because I just want to highlight one specific example. And you mentioned it, the Steelers two years ago with Big Ben healthy, top five in pace of play. Juju was fantastic. They still had AB. The Big Ben was a monster in fantasy. It was great. And then last year, they couldn't move the ball and the pace was just gross. They were bottom five. They couldn't do anything. And you talked about it. They were a bad team. We didn't want them in fantasy, not because they were a bad team, but also they weren't up in their their pace. They weren't able to get plays off because they couldn't pick up first down. So you really do need to kind of look at um, how important it is. It can truly differentiate like top five offenses in the league and like the middle tier where you, you might get a game or two here or there where these guys hit or smash, but really we want to target volume in fantasy and, and pace of play is a great way to, to do that. Yeah, there's a team this year that I'm curious about how they, how fast they run. The Bengals, you know, there's so much unknowns with Joe Burrow. There's so much unknowns in terms of just this team. Have we really fully seen them all on the field at the same time with AJ Green and John Ross? But if they're running three and four wide, I'm interested in this team. And I'm interested in terms of them getting off more plays. And just a rule of thumb, you know, that you can look at the differences between certain teams and see their seconds per play. And you can say, well, I mean, this team's only like averaging a second more you know, per game, like in terms of their plays. And for every second you can add in terms of seconds per place, you can add three plays to a game. And when you get up a little bit further, five seconds of difference is 15 more plays a game. Obviously, if you that matters. were to go to over, yeah, if you were to go to overtime then you're super excited, you're getting more, but it really does matter if you're getting 10 to 15 more plays from a team, you're getting those opportunities, especially if you have a quarterback in play, that those are chances for him uh, to be able to just have a bigger output. So, yeah, I love that. It's something that I think we're adding this year to the DFS pass and something hopefully our, our users will really like. For sure. I do like that call too, by the by the way. The Bengals with Zach Taylor last year, they jumped up in pace of play. Joe Burrow ran an up-tempo offense at, at LSU. So I like that call quite a bit. Uh, my next uh, kind of tool that I like to use is the buzz report in the DFS pass. And really what that looks like is it looks at what are people that are doing DFS research or even players, what are they talking about or who are they talking about? What players are getting the most buzz that week? And that will tell us a lot of information, not because they're a bad play. They might be a great play and there's a reason all of us are talking about them. But as I've said it on a, another show that we've done, sometimes you need to be willing to differentiate yourself from the field and from other people playing DFS. If everyone is hearing the same thing or reading the same article or looking at the same players to put in their lineup, you're not going to be able to differentiate yourself from the field. If you want to win in these big tournaments, you need to understand uh, the percentage of, of teams in the tournament that have these guys on their roster. Most of the time, chalk running backs, and you'll hear us say chalk a lot, just basically means like they're going to be owned a lot. Um, and that's fine. But we need to be able to get these guys that are at like the single digits in percentage of rosters. So Two to five percent, um, sometimes even lower, is a great place to be. And you mentioned that lineup with Andy Dalton and John Ross and and all those guys. That could not have felt good hitting the submit button. It's kind of scary. But to to win in these bigger tournaments, you need to be able to kind of sometimes fade like the the most buzz players in in that week to get a 
a difference in these huge tournaments. So you have to be a little uncomfortable sometimes uh, at lock for that reason. But being willing to kind of put yourself out there and take that risk, obviously, in those big tournaments is kind of how you get an edge. So um, don't be afraid to be sweating a little bit <laughs> on Sunday at one o'clock when you hit submit. It's also a great tool for cash game lineups. When I look at those that top 10 list that we get um, courtesy of Fanshare, in that buzz report, you're seeing here are the running backs that I need to roster most likely. You know, with, with cash games, you're trying to lock in the high volume, the high floor guys, and you're going to find them there. People are going to be talking about these players. So obviously, Christian McCaffrey's on that list, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. Those are going to be obvious, but you're going to find names that are that are maybe cheaper that week, like a Mark Ingram or, or someone else that's going to have the volume and a cheaper price tag. And those are the guys that I want to lock into my cash lineups. You know, you need two running backs. A lot of times that's where you're going to end up flexing, especially on FanDuel and, and having those running backs. So it's a great tool. I, I look at it every single week, not just because I'm part of the fantasy footballers, but when I build my lineups, I look at that and I say, okay, why is nobody mentioning this player am i crazy and then i look at the tool and i go oh actually people are (laughs) they're talking about this guy (laughs) yeah it it does kind of surprise you sometimes the names that are on the list but like i said it's a good way to to get an edge i think um, especially if you're playing those big tournaments if you are playing a big tournament this is our last tip right here is you need to be able to build something outside of just hand selecting them and clicking and we have a lineup generator in our DFS pass that does so much of the work for you. The best part is that you can set your limits of certain players and exit out players that you don't want in your player pool. So let's just say you didn't want to spend up at quarterback. Yeah, I convinced you earlier based on that research that, hey, maybe Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes aren't the only options each week for DFS. You can X them out and say, you know what? I only want to look at a smaller group of players. So for me, quarterbacks, I try to find about three or four different guys to build around that I say, these are my core plays. And then I kind of stack and I mix different players with them. But the lineup generator lets you do that. It lets you see how much you want to roster certain players. If you are building 150 lineups, which is a big endeavor, then you can say, hey, I only want 15% of my lineups to have this player in it, and it will build it out for you. And I, I I think it's a great tool. It's a great thing just to mess around with. That's one of my favorite parts is just build this lineup, let me export it, and then you can actually put it straight into FanDuel or DraftKings, and it saves so much time. I used to try to do this by myself on my little spreadsheet, and it was taking me hours and hours and hours. And so now... You go throughout the week, you get all the information, you listen to the podcast, and if it's Friday or Saturday, you're getting to just build the lineups from that lineup generator. Yeah, it's so, so easy to use too. Like, I mean, it's it literally in seconds spits out for you once you kind of put in your criteria of, of what players you want to lock in or avoid or you know, all the things that Kyle mentioned, it literally, you just, how many lineups you want, you click the button and it generates them all for you. So it's a good way to still have a life and <laughs> still have time to do this uh, in a smart way. So I use it quite a bit. Um, one of my favorite tools in the DFS pass for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that pays for the DFS pass in itself that you have someone else beside you that's doing all of the hard, like admin work of DFS. I mean, we love, <laughs> don't get me wrong. We love selecting lineups and that is so fun in any format, redraft, whatever. But when someone gets to build a, a, 
a larger amount, let's let's make it even 20. I mean, you can actually say, you can look at those 20 lineups and say, you know what, could you do it again for me? I didn't really like all those. And they'll configure it. <laughs> Hit in me another. again. <laughs> I mean, I have so many, I probably need to look at my downloads folder. It's just so many different exports that I've had over the years of just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me building, building different lineups. So let's get into a, a segment that once again, one day I will yell it out. Mailbag. You know, Mike, I looked at some of our drops, which is why I added our let's play a game drop. And there are some solid ones that have been just hiding in the vault for, for a couple of years. And I, I might ask him if we could bring a couple out on here because there's there's Please some do. solid ones. Please do. My my favorite is preseason power up, and because there's no preseason, we don't get to use it this year. But that that's that's Next always year. a good one. All right. So the first question we have this week on the mailbag is from Zach Sherman at Z underscore Sherman twenty one. He said, "I just started listening and reading, and I'm loving the podcast so far. We love you too, Zach. Thank you. Is that all you wanted to say?" No, Moving okay. on, next he question. question. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. He said, I just want to profess how much I love you guys. Uh, he said, actually, my question is pretty simple. In GPP versus cash lineups, how many unique lineups should I be shooting for? Or if I'm fairly confident in a particular lineup, do I just enter the same one multiple times? The answer to this question definitely looks at a couple of different things. So, if you're playing in a GPP, there are there are options. There are several options. You can do, like Kyle's talking about, you can do 150 lineups in one contest, which is the, the Millie Maker on uh, DraftKings. There's also single entry GPP tournaments. So, you know, these GPPs, everyone kind of gets in their head, oh, you know, you enter 20 lineups or 25 or 100 or whatever it is and see which one hits. Well, that is definitely a strategy to do. And if I am doing that, I'm certainly entering multiple different lineups because even though some might have overlapping players, you want to build yourself a portfolio of lineups that have those single digit roster percentages in them. So you might kind of have like four or five of the same guys and then throw in, you know, a random receiver here or a different tight end here or different defense or whatever it is. So they might look similar, but there's a lot of uh, moving parts and a little bit of difference between each of them. So that's kind of how I approach that style. But if you're talking about a single entry and you want to play in multiple tournaments with that same lineup, to me, that's fine. And then in cash, I mean, I'm totally good to kind of lock in like, you know, at least 10 to 20 lineups of the same lineup. That's how I play cash usually because when I'm doing that, that's the the team that I feel the most safe with and, and the most confident in. And so in that type of situation, I'm kind of riding or dying with that lineup in that setting. But in, in a GPP, you got to be willing to differentiate yourself in multiple different ways. That's some good advice though, especially about the single entry because you can look at those tournaments and say, okay, well, they've talked about 150 lineups. I see articles on the internet that talk about max entering and granted on some of these just realize that that's what a lot of people are doing but with the single entry you get that same feeling of trying to take down a whole tournament but you're trying to take people on the same level playing field money is not the thing that people are using to bypass you because they've got 150 lineups so yeah i love the single entry and i do the same thing with my cash where i, I try to i probably do one or two lineups and i just kind of stick with it that's my core that's my group that I'm going to stay with. And we mentioned last week, think about it like a staircase. You are having different levels of 
entries, if it's the dollar, the, the, the $5, $10, whatever it is for cash. But if you are entering into a contest, I mentioned earlier, those, those contests that are a nickel, a quarter, you can enter those and do the 150 lineups, use the lineup generator. And the nickel one, you're only, it's costing you $7.50, I think. So, you know, that that's doable. That's doable to say, I could do 150 lineups and granted the payout's not the same, but it doesn't feel as bad to say, I'm feeling kind of frisky this week. I want to put in <laughs> Demarcus Robinson. Frisky. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's fun to be able to try out new things at that level where you're not trying it out in the Millie Maker. You're just throwing $25 upon $25 away. So um, here's your brother, I think, another Maddie. Oh, all, what's up, Maddie? Do you go by Maddie at all, by the way? Oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this. Uh, when I was younger, my older brother used to call me Maddie, but that has since passed. Now it's usually either Bets or uh, or Hey You. <laughs> You're even in your family they call you Bets. <laughs> no, no, no. My mom, my mom loves that I'm that I go by Matthew. She's like hard and fast on the full name, uh, and then it just kind of stuck uh, throughout the course of the years. But then I got to college, and then you know meeting people in this space, they're like, "That is way too long to say. We're just going to go with Bets. Four letters, super easy." I feel I feel the same way. No one really knows how my last name ends. And actually, Maddie wrote in the first thing he says is, "Hey, Bets and the Borgogan." Um, <laughs> yeah, Thanks, I'm fine. I'm fine with. I love Borg. I've gotten that a lot of my life. Kyborg works sometimes if people want that. Um, Borgannoni would be really great if just someone out there acknowledged my last name. But uh, anyone. <laughs> What's funny yeah, we is have our, that, we have our intro guy. He's got it. The, yeah, the intro guy kills it. On the main show, they purposely avoid saying my full last name. And I don't ever put my full last name in any of the docs at all. And it was, I mean, it was probably a year or two in. And Andy's just like, you just need to phonetically spell this for us. And it works. But yeah, Borgogan, for fantasy space, it's fine. It'd be weird if one of my friends called me Borgogan back home or my family members. Uh, his, this is Maddie's question. He had a question, by the way. He said, what are the key stats you use to identify potentially high scoring games beyond just the Vegas over under? For example, is it something like the combined team's pace or raw plays run or average yards per play? Cheers, fellas. Cheers, Maddie. Uh, thanks for the question. Yes, definitely starting with Vegas is, is where I go first. Then from there, for me, it's about um, kind of understanding each team's pace and, and what they've been doing recently. And what I mean by recently is not their, their yearly average because that might be different in the first two weeks of the season, but things change, schemes change. We talked about it with the, the Cardinals. If you just looked at their overall season pace and you said, okay, they're going up against, I don't know, the Cowboys, you might be like, oh, this is going to be a high-flying matchup. This is going to be great. Well, Last year in week one, that might have been true because both teams were running up tempo and pace, good offenses, the Vegas over-under would have been high. But Kyle's talked about it a lot. Like in the second half of the year, things changed for that team and they slowed down. And so you need to kind of look at recent trends in pace. And Kyle's going to point that out in the article, you know, in the past each each uh, each week. That to me is the second place I go for sure. And I think being able to zoom in on, on a, a recent sample of what the team is doing and what the uh, the offensive philosophy is in that pace recent weeks is, is the way to go outside of Vegas lines. For me, the, one of the main stats that I just 
love, and I think everyone should love. It's not perfect, but Air Yards just shows you so much of, of, of a team and specifically a quarterback in terms of what are they trying to do. Matthew Stafford was the perfect example of this last year where he shifted from 2018 where he was a dink and dunk guy with Matt Patricia to they kind of set him loose where he was having such high percentage targets that were going downfield and in the end zone. So he was throwing it while Galladay and Jones were literally standing in the end zone. And those are the kind of fantasy uh, that's a gold mine where you're looking at players that aren't just getting targets, but they're getting deep targets. So you're getting chunk plays and you're getting plays where they have potential to score. So I love looking at teams, especially quarterbacks that uh, have a lot of air yards and are throwing it in the end zone. So there's end zone targets, which is different than, you know, a red zone target. Um, and then with the air yards, you're finding players with opportunity. And there's a lot of great articles out there, including some air yards by models that Josh Hermsmeyer does. There's just some great articles out there on the internet where people are showing you this guy is getting a ton of deep targets. He is due. And so if you remember that Will Fuller game last year, everybody oh, yes. was on Will Fuller because his air yards were piling up and he hadn't really scored at all. And then he scored three in a game. So those are really fun ones. And uh, in the articles, we'll get to just throw more and more at you. But that was the first one off the top of my head. All right. Stingmon on Twitter, he says, with so many people focused on 150 max and a lot of people talking about that, what's the best strategy for single entry and three entry max, maybe even 20 entry? I love single entry or three entry. You mentioned that earlier. What do you think, how does that strategy change from 150 lineups? Yeah, I also love that that type of format. Three entry or single entry is usually the type of tournament that I play in because you talked about it, right? It's People kind of feel intimidated to put together 150 lineups. Of course, you can use the generator if you want to, but if you're looking at single entry and three entry max type of tournaments, you truly can feel way more confident about what you're putting into the the contest because you're, you're selecting you know, your, your core group of maybe four to five guys and then throwing in like, this is my dude this week, my upside play, my, you know, break, break the bank kind of player. Um, and I'm going to choose him to be my differentiator. So you can still feel pretty confident about having a few higher owned guys because you only need one lineup. You don't need like 50 or 150 to, to differentiate yourself. So you can be more willing to kind of, uh, I think be more confident in your process that way. Um, so I love single entry. And like you said, too, you just be able to get to a, a, an even playing field with everyone in the tournament. It's not because you couldn't afford to put in, I don't know, a thousand dollars into the entry fee or entry pool. You could everyone had 10 bucks and they all played 10 bucks. So if you know your stuff, you can win in those kind of tournaments. And that's usually what I like to play in. Yeah, it, those are the kind of tournaments you really play with just your gut. Like this is my intuition at the beginning of the week. And if you're kind of like really bullish on a player that week, but you think, all right, I know his range of outcomes, he could totally bust, then you take him out of your cash pool and you think about this as like a cash lineup. I'm playing this one lineup and this is what I'm going with, but because it's a single entry or a three entry max, uh, you can go for it. And so there's there's some cheap ones out there, you know, a dollar to $5 single entries and maybe even for a smaller field. And that just allows you to try and say, you know what, I'm going to trust my gut this week. And you're going to make some right calls. Like you're going to, you're going to say, you know what, I'm on this player. I don't know if I'm ready to go 150 max. Instead, I'm going to have my core players. So get your, 
you know, your running backs that are going to put up a ton of volume and then mix in those wide receivers and wide receivers, honestly, is really the place where people win in DFS. It's you hit on those wide receivers that were low owned that went off because it's the most volatile position in fantasy. Uh, I did a study a couple years ago where I compared in redraft kickers, which dude, don't get me started. Should we have a whole podcast on this? We could probably have three. You love kickers. I just, <laughs> I, I think what I love most about kickers is that the stigma that they get is that they're just a stain on fantasy and that they're unpredictable and no one knows what to do. So I did a study a couple years ago and I looked at at the beginning of the year when people draft kickers and when they draft defenses and when they draft all the other positions and just kind of seeing where players move up and down. And a lot of times the most volatile position is wide receivers in terms of week to week, you know, predicting not week the to week. You're, not the kicker. Um, the kicker is kind of a little bit easier to base it. And, and the article goes through a lot of stuff. If you want to check it out, uh, the title is called Demystifying the Stain of Kickers on Fantasy Football. Ooh. I felt, so what you're I felt, suggesting uh, is we should have three kicker lineups and just play one wide receiver because you can't really predict it. You know, DraftKings and FanDuel have some cool formats where you get to pick four or five <laughs> kickers. I've done it a couple of times. It's not worth it. But uh, yeah, you just get to, <laughs> find those wide re- <laughs> you get to find those wide receivers and mix them in. And that's where a single entry, you get to make your, your claim on someone. So for instance, I know I've already built one single entry lineup and I have Curtis Samuel in there because he's my guy and I feel really strong about it. I don't think in if I do 150 lineups, I'm going to have him in more than maybe 10 to 15% of my lineups because that's just what you need to do with wide receivers. But in a single entry, I, this is my gut. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to stack with Teddy B and win some money. Let's go. Man, t- Teddy Bridgewater has no idea that there's a show out there that talks about him every single week. It's us. We are the official supporters of Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Teddy, we welcome you with open arms and with open gloves because that's how you play the game of football with gloves on your hand. <laughs> Maybe we can get him on the pod p- as a guest sometime. He, He's got he nothing did, else going he, on. It's true. If he was on the pod, he'd have to wear the gloves. I feel oh, like absolutely. maybe... All right, one pod. Let's just make a deal. We both wear gloves the whole time in honor of Teddy Two Gloves. We have we have to do it if we're talking about him in that week. So we'll we'll talk pre-show and then make sure we figure it out. All right, last question here. Uh, it's from Adam Treister at Treister Meester Four. It's a good question. <laughs> That's a great and handle. <laughs> I know. I don't know why it's so I, funny. <laughs> uh, I also think we're going to get some more of these questions next week when we're getting into week one, where there's real plays where people say, "Hey, do I play this guy?" Um, his question is, "Am I crazy?" So Adam's saying, "Am I a crazy guy for wanting to roster Tyrod Taylor?" or Dwayne Haskins week one in DFS. And just to reference, week one, the Chargers play at the Bengals, and Washington plays your Eagles at home. So is is he crazy for wanting to roster some cheap quarterbacks, but quarterbacks that seem like they have low upside? No, this is actually a very smart play, especially in tournaments, because no one wants to play Dwayne Haskins. Everyone's entering week one, doing their redraft research, and he doesn't go in draft, so no one really wants him. So the same is true with Tyrod Taylor. Um, But Dwayne Haskins is so insanely cheap. He is going below other players in in DraftKings pricing who aren't even starters. That's how disrespectful that price is. And we talked about uh, the fact that those lineups... 
can win with a cheap quarterback. So if you're if you're talking about cash, I don't love it. But if you're talking about a tournament, I like these guys quite a bit as a contrarian play, specifically Tyrod Taylor against the, the Bengals. If we're talking about an up-tempo Bengals team, then maybe there's a, a, a scenario where the, the Chargers kind of have to keep up. And with Tyrod, obviously, he can rush the football. So, yeah, I like the, these calls quite a bit. Yeah, I kind of crossed them off my list on FanDuel. FanDuel pricing is just so clumped together. Joe Burrow is actually only a hundred more dollars than than Haskins on FanDuel, but wow. yeah, they're they're just the the pricing's so tight. But in DK, yes, there's some extreme values where Haskins just buried at five k. Tyrod's fifty six hundred. I don't mind if if you build some lineups, especially if you want to pair him with McLaurin. It makes sense if you're stacking that game. It's an underrated game. Last year, this game did go over, and it was an exciting week one game where the Washington team definitely had a chance to win that one against the Eagles. I was sweating profusely. (laughs) That was terrible. Yeah, all year we're going to look at quarterbacks. We're going to look at cheap quarterbacks because that's where you save the most amount of cash. And that's where you're able to just find the right combinations of stacking your team. So, yeah, it's not a crazy question, Adam. You're not a crazy guy. And we think you're great, Treester Meester. (laughs) So before we leave, I want to make sure you guys know about Underdog Fantasy. You can sign up today at Underdog and enter the Best Ball Mania for a chance in million-dollar prizes. And you and I both participated in an Underdog Best Ball tournament today because they were doing an awesome promo uh, with Garner about Garner Minshew because Garner if you guys didn't see this on Twitter he basically said if you draft him in the first round you get a chance to win a case of uh, Bud Light and maybe Bud Light for a year a case yeah, is for not the entire that, season but the case Beer for an entire season man you gotta do it Kyle come on <laughs> for 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 pee water I don't know if I want it um, and the thing is when I read the tweet I was like a case is like 24 beers and then, you know, it goes on further and says you could win it, but it's not that enticing. But what underdogs doing is if you enter the best ball mania today, we're recording this on Wednesday, but if you entered it and you show them that you didn't pick Gardner in the first round, then they give you another free entry. So that was awesome. We both jumped on that. We said, Hey, I get two best ball mania entries for the price of one. Why would I not do that? Yeah. Did you, they're also go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just gonna say how your team turned out. Oh, uh, I have a Cowboys stack. Of, I have a Cowboys stack. Oh, let's go. Who do you have? I have Dak. I've got uh, Tony Pollard to go off of Zeke to be a little bit contrarian. I've got uh, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. That is the Cowboys stack I ended up with. And then I also paired it with an Eagles stack of Carson Wentz, Jalen Rager, and Dallas Goddard. So I'm all in on the Eagles and the Cowboys apparently in this tournament. So I had the third pick, so I took Zeke there. And then I paired him with Dak, and I also had CeeDee Lamb. And then my other stack on that team is I did a Bengals stack, which is much cheaper, uh, with Joe Burrow, A.J. Green, John Ross. Yeah, I, like felt, I, I felt pretty good um, considering there's some other guys that I know that were actually in that draft, and man, they just they had some really good stacks. But if you've never tried out best ball before, this is the perfect time to do it. You can go on underdogfantasy.com or search for underdog fantasy in your app store. As we're getting closer to the season, this is when people are jumping on and you can do it at any moment. You can do a 30 second draft. You can do one for up to eight hours per pick, but can't recommend it enough. It's the best way to practice for your actual draft. So before we leave bets, 
any thoughts you want to give the people before next week? I just got to say, man, we are less than two weeks away from football. Let's go. Yep. Hope you guys have a great weekend and we can't wait to see you again. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.